time this week preparing uh, something based on on the readings, but I also just have this feeling that there's something that God wants to do in us, something that God wants to say to us this morning that my words um, can't do. You know, uh, I uh, love uh, words. I'm a, I'm a preacher and, and I sort of uh, make my living, I guess, during the week, either doing stuff here or, or teaching people about the Bible and um, theology. And, and words are my bread and butter, actually. But one of the things that we recognise as Pentecostals is that sometimes words aren't enough. Sometimes God wants to do something and say something that our language can't carry. And I think that's part actually of what speaking in tongues is about. Have you ever been left speechless by something that's happened in your life? Something so profound has hit you that you can't give words to it? Now, the Bible gives words to Jesus, pointing to him, explaining who he is, revealing to us what God is, has done and is doing in the world better than, than any other words that we can really point to. Um, but yet as Pentecostals, and this might make some of us feel a little bit un, uh, uncomfortable, we believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to us, can work through us, can even express himself through our tongues and our lips in a way that, that doesn't kind of make sense in the way that human languages do. English is beautiful. Uh, the, the, the Bible in English is amazing. I love it. Um, I've gone and tried to find out about the Bible in, in Greek, and it's a wonderful thing as well. I'll tell you a really interesting story quickly. In terms of all the ancient Greek documents that are around, the language of the scripture is completely different. To, to anything else. And it's been a bit of a, a puzzle for scholars through the centuries. Why is the Greek that the New Testament's written in different to the Greek uh, that we see in classical literature? So much so that we've even got a, a different term for the type of Greek that scriptural Greek is. We call it Koine Greek because it's different to, to, to you know, ancient Greek basically. It led many people to suppose for, for a long time that maybe God had um, given the apostles a new language uh, to write scripture in. Like this revelation from God was so special that they'd get their own dialect to write it in. Until less than a hundred years ago, a German archaeologist was working on a dump in Egypt and he found a couple of documents that were written in the same type of Greek as the Bible. Do you know where? I said a dump, didn't I? Do you, do you, do you know what it was? It was shopping lists. <laughs> Casual letters. And what they realised is this holy document is written in street Greek. It's like scrawlings. I mean, some of it's still amazing, but it's not kind of the language of the bourgeois. It's not the language of the intellectual elites. It's ordinary. What makes it extraordinary is that the Holy Spirit's in it. You know, the Holy Spirit chose people like you and me to put down in writing 
what God was doing. And that's even better, isn't it, than some kind of new kind of Greek that God invented just for his revelation. His revelation comes through people like us. And our language doesn't have to be excellent in human terms. What makes it extraordinary is that the Spirit gives breath. And so we're going to ad-lib a little bit here this morning, but I just want to give us an opportunity right now. I think we're in a moment here where God wants to say something to some of us and God wants to say something through some of us. And if you've got the language of tongues, we are a Pentecostal church. Some people say you can't always tell. We're going to be able to tell right now because I'm going to ask you to sing and pray as Charlie just leads us a little bit longer in this song. Pray in that gift. If you would like that gift of tongues this morning, we're thinking about God coming into our lives in an extraordinary new way this morning. Last week we thought about Mary saying yes to God, receiving God's word. If you haven't, spoken in that language before, I'd encourage you just to take a moment to say yes to God. Can we sing just a, a little bit more, Charlie, and let's, let's sing and pray in tongues if you've got it, if you don't. Graham laid down the gauntlet. Uh, can I can I compete with the colouring in this morning? Let's see. I'll ask a question and I'll see if I get any response. Who here likes Skittles? <laughs> Not Lucy Hart, apparently. Come on, Tio. You, do you like Skittles? Nobody. This is not the reaction. This is why they say don't work with uh, kids and animals. Actually, Graham did this really... Uh, uh, 
sadistic, I want to say, thing at a board meeting recently where he bought M&Ms and Skittles and put them in the same bowl in the middle of the table. <laughs> so it was like a little head trip. Um, yeah, yeah, come on. But actually, I'm going to ask the kids, whether you like Skittles or not, I'm going to force Skittles on you. Can you guys put your stuff down and come sit here just for a second? Because I, I need you. I need your wisdom. Come on, Lucy. You might not like Skittles, but you have wisdom. So if you're in church for children, come up here and have a seat. Have a seat. Have a seat. So you do like Skittles. You're all sort of uh, standing around me like dogs waiting for a schmacko. There's got to be someone here that likes Skittles, right? Can you say that so everyone can hear? I love Skittles. See, there you go. Jenny, do you like Skittles? No, you don't know what Skittles are, do you? Um, anyway, so, Johanita, you can help me then as the, as the one person who's brave enough to say that you like Skittles. Oh, there's... Well, sorry, I've already tried. <laughs> you should have spoken up earlier. Because... Uh, I've got good news for you if you like Skittles. I have a Skittle here for you, Johanita. But don't eat it quite yet because it's a bit of an illustration point for us. Johanita, t what do you like about Skittles? They're yummy. What's your favourite flavour? Strawberry. Strawberry. You got a lemon one there, so that'll that'll have to do. What if I told you uh, or asked you, Johanita, uh, uh, to give that skittle to your mum to eat? How would you feel? Sad. Sad. <laughs> yeah. Sad. Um, what What if uh, someone else from the front row up here of the kids came and asked you for your skittle? How would you feel? I mean, if you've only got one of something that you like, it's kind of hard to give it away, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It is. It is hard to give away. Uh, if we've only got one thing that we like, it is hard to give it away. What if I told you, actually, that uh, I, I have more than one Skittle? Would that, would that make this work a little bit better, do you think? What if I told you this is just some of the Skittles that I've got. What if I told you that I had endless Skittles? If I then said to you, go and give that Skittle to your mum, would it make it a little bit easier if you knew that you had endless Skittles? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. And what about if all of these guys came to you and said, can I have a Skittle, Johanita? And you knew you had, had endless Skittles, would you still give them one? Yes. Would you give them more than one? Yes. Why? What, like, why would you be so generous all of a sudden? Well, partly because you're not afraid to run out, right? If you know that no matter how many Skittles you give away, you've got infinity Skittles still left, you'd give them out really freely, wouldn't you? There'd probably be nothing that would really stop you from giving Skittles to someone else if you knew that you had a bottomless supply of Skittles. Am I right? Yes. 
do you want to start giving them out to people? Do, do you want to sort of share them around? Maybe even just pass the bowl along. and Take a couple Johanita and pass them along. So you can let go of the bowl and just they can, they can pass them along. Because I, I need you to sit here with me. There we go. Now, I don't know uh, if you guys think much about God's love. But do you guys think, Johanita, do you think that there is an end to God's love? Just a little bit that can be given out? How much love does God have? Infinity. Infinity love, right? I've been thinking about that this week because we've been um, thinking about Jesus coming into the world and it occurs to me that there's no end to God's love, right? That's what grace sort of says, that um, no matter what we do, God loves us. Do you remember us talking about that recently, big kids? No matter what we do, God loves us. And we looked at this definition of grace recently uh, from J.I. Packer that God's love, uh, that grace is God's love in action towards people who merited the opposite of love. The same reason why it would be really easy for Johanita to give out Skittles to anyone that asked if she had infinite Skittles is the same reason that we as Christians can change the world. Because there is no end to God's love in our lives, right? Um, we don't have to be sort of stingy if we feel like. And this is one of the things that made me decide to go off uh, my notes a little bit this morning. Uh, Graham's been away on holidays this week and I prepared the offering talk uh, and then he turned up and said, actually, I've got the offering talk. And I said, you know what's a good verse for the offering talk? 2 Corinthians 9.8 and he said I know I'm more, I've already prepared an offering talk from 2 Corinthians 9.8 this idea and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times having all that you need you will abound in every good work this is why Jesus just can't be stopped in people's lives uh, you might remember from my sermon on grace a couple of weeks ago uh, that we talked about the fact that Grace is unfair, right? Uh, that's why, as much as we sometimes call it amazing grace, you guys can even go sit down. Thanks for the Skittles. I'll, I'll let you into the safe room where the bottomless supply is a bit later. Um, in the same way that we talk about grace being amazing, um, another word that often gets connected with grace is scandalous, right? Because it doesn't make sense. It scandalises people. Um, people... <laughs> we're all up for distra distractions this morning. Thanks, Emmy. Um, people don't know what to do with grace. It doesn't compute according to the world's economy, according to the way that people understand justice. God goes beyond justice. He goes to love. He goes to grace. And so... That should have fruit in our lives as Christians, as we're in the world. Um, there is no end to the resources of God. While it might seem like there's no end to the problems of our world, 
we as God's agents in the world are resourced to infinity. I keep using that word because Iggy keeps using it. it. No matter the need, God has the resource to address it and he can address it through us. That is part of his plan. And um, we've been thinking uh, about this through Advent, the way that the prophets are resourced with hope. We might think of the prophets as often being about doom and gloom, but actually they do go through doom and gloom, but they always end up, don't they? Because they say there's trouble coming, but on the other side of trouble, God is going to fix everything. And when we had our Advent play for the first week, the prophets were, what were they doing? Does anyone remember? Who was a prophet in the play? You were a narrator, Lucy. The prophets were pointing towards Bethlehem, weren't they? They were saying, look at what God is going to do. We have cause for hope because God is going to do something. It looks bleak now, but God is going to do something really cool. Last week, we thought about Mary and Joseph and how they prepared for the coming of God into their situation. They went on a long journey. They made room in their hearts and their lives for something that God was going to do that was special. And this week, we thought about the shepherds and the way that when they saw God beginning to move and heard what God was doing, they were full of joy, right? They were full of joy. I just want to cover off on these three words very briefly for us this morning because we're going to have communion and I want to uh, give us a bit more time to worship. The power of the kingdom of God, the power of the good news of Jesus coming into the world to change the world is wrapped up in this stuff. It's wrapped up in the mystery of grace, which is God's love in action towards people who merited the opposite of love. And we've been looking again and seeing as we uh, go to the Advent stories about how upside down all of this stuff is. Hope is the fruit of love, the fruit of God's grace in our life. And if we can hope when we are outside the mechanisms of influence, there is the power of the kingdom. The prophets so often were people who were outside of the mechanisms of influence, but they had a certain power because they could see what God was doing and they could point to it. If we can do that in our lives, we can change the world because there is real power there. And I listen to lots of Christians around the place these days and and there is this feeling and maybe um, we're even a little slow to kind of um, latch onto it or to, to be aware of it. But there is this feeling that increasingly we're outside of the mechanisms of power. And I think it's not just Christians. If we look at the way that Western democracy is going, um, and Western democracy has sort of been the light of the world in terms of governance system, it sort of all f- feels like... I mean, the, a lot of the Trump phenomenon, really, was people going, these guys don't work for us. This system's not working for us. But if we can have hope 
when we see that that stuff might exclude us, there is going to be something powerful there. If we can have peace when we are at the mercy of the machines of war, the power of the kingdom is in that place. And some of us might be feeling like we're actually in the middle of a bit of a war. Christians often talk about the culture war that's going on. Actually, there's some stuff from Scripture to suggest that if you feel like you're in a war, you're perfectly placed to be a peacemaker. Someone to sort of be a signpost of the scandal of grace. That no matter what these machines throw at you, you respond with love and peace. You may get mowed down, you don't retaliate. You bless. (laughs) You share joy. You share love. And finally, the third watchword that we're looking at today. If we can have joy when we don't have the ingredients that the world tells us we're supposed to have to be happy, the power of the kingdom is in that. That is something scandalous. And you hear it remarked upon sometimes in, in, in the news where someone has gone through tremendous adversity, tremendous affliction, and they can maintain their joy. People don't know what to do with that. That is transformative. That is powerful. I just want to share a couple of short testimonies and then we'll um, take communion because I've sort of accounted for the fact that we've got kids in the room this morning. Uh, I've been really blessed lately to be interacting with some chaplains in state schools. And and one of the things that uh, interacting with these chaplains has been showing me is that we actually, as the people of God, I believe, have a lot to learn from our chaplains at the moment. Now, I've tracked with chaplaincy for, for quite a long time, from back in the days where, you know, you could almost hold like a church service in a state school and have altar calls and that kind of stuff, to now where you're not actually allowed to say anything in detail about your faith unless you're asked. Um, you're not allowed to recommend that people go to a church as you're dealing with students and teachers. In many ways, you're not really allowed to say anything with your words that would signal you're a Christian. And um, I have to admit to being in a place myself where I've thought maybe it is just better that we, that we get the state to pay for counsellors in schools, right? What's the point of having chaplains there if they can't even talk about Jesus? But dealing with some chaplains on the ground in the last few weeks has just shown me how wrong I was, actually. I spoke to a a cluster of chaplains a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was on the back of the message that I preached about grace, and and that message has just been resonating with me. Um, It I've been impacted again by the message of grace in Scripture. And uh, I met these chaplains before we went into the meeting. We went and grabbed a coffee from the coffee shop across the street. And um, one of the chappies was saying that there's a bunch of people in her office that drink coffee. Um, And because there's all these limitations around what she can and can't do, she's always looking for opportunities to serve, right? Right? So she said, you know what, guys, I'll be the coffee girl 
every day when you would normally get your coffee, I'll pop across the street for you. You guys can keep doing your lesson planning and I'll get your coffee. And then she noticed that they um, were just using uh, disposable cups every day. So she thought, I'm going to actually show that I care about these guys, I care about the environment. Uh, I'm going to buy each of those teachers a keep cup, one of those reusable coffee cups, right? So they're not, they're maybe 20, 30 bucks each, and I think she bought 10 or so, so a little bit of an outlay. Um, and she just told that story very casually, like that's kind of just what she does. And it occurred to me that is what she does. As a chappie in a school that says, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus at all, you've got to think, well, how can I talk about Jesus without talking about Jesus? How can I tap in to this unmerited love that God has shown me and extend that to other people? And I thought, what a potent picture of what we really all should be doing. Wouldn't it be amazing and impacting if each of us kind of put our chappy hat on when we went to work? It might not be that welcome for me to talk about Jesus here or to invite people to church or to proselytise. But if I am just about the business of sharing God's love and... What occurred to me as I thought about that woman's story is there is no answer to that. Do you you know what I mean? That doesn't make sense uh, according to the economy of the world. That is grace. There there is just no resource like that in the world. Another local chaplain I was speaking to just last week um, who's in a school that is particularly sort of, well, has a hostile element to what he's doing there. A local church, quite separate from the chaplaincy program, came in, one of the parents must have noticed that one of their gardens was looking a bit tired. And so the church came in to the school and said, hey, we want to re-landscape that whole garden for you. Um, it was about a week's work, so volunteers came in from the church. They paid for the soil, for the plants, everything, off their own bat and just re-landscaped this whole garden. And the chappie said that there was complaints coming to the office. (coughs) Who's doing that? Well, it's a church up the road. They shouldn't be doing that. Well, (laughs) they're doing it for free. (laughs) In as much as it might not make sense to you for them to do that for us, it doesn't make any sense for us to tell them not to do it, right? That's grace, because the church, actually, the way that the system's set up, has nothing to gain, necessarily. Uh, They're not going to uh, be given more access to the school. The rules aren't necessarily going to change. But what it does is it shows that we're running off a whole other economy, right? That, that, That love... Hello. Oh, that was perfectly timed. She's also telling me to wrap it up, I think. Um, That the love of God, unmerited favour, will change the world because there's no answer to it. And it's the reason why, while at a policy level, there might be people saying, we don't want chaplains in our public schools, you go to many public schools, they don't want to imagine life without the chaplain because they've experienced what it's like to have somebody 
in their midst with a bottomless bowl of Skittles who's just going to keep giving and giving and giving and giving. Because when you know that whatever's in your wallet is not the bottom of your wallet, you can keep giving. And I mean, it's not about money really, but it's about resource. It's about anything that can be needed or required to heal the wounds of the world, to invest in health, invest in goodness. This is what I mean when I say grace is the substance of the kingdom. It's not fair. It's better than fair. It's not just. It goes beyond justice. It is a bottomless bowl of Skittles. (laughs) It's a bottomless bowl of heavenly Skittles. No matter what the need is, we can with confidence say, you know what? By God's grace, I am empowered and resourced to meet that need. And we can keep giving, and we can keep giving, and we can keep giving, and we can keep giving. What the Roman Empire discovered when it faced early Christianity was that you can't kill a people who aren't afraid to die. When your philosophy says that my blood is the seed of the kingdom in the next generation, the you know, the machinations of empire, the machine of war is helpless in the face of that. Helpless in the face of grace. And so I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Uh, One of the readings this morning, I just want to sort of um, speak over us. Um, It's from Zephaniah, the prophet. And again, it's somebody who received the word of the Lord. Actually, I've got it on the screen up here so you all can see it. Why don't you stand? We'll, we'll sing a little, then we'll break bread. So the prophet Zephaniah says, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. There's grace, right? He has, na- he has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And this is uh, the part that I love as Zephaniah sees the end of God's plan. This is God's words to his people. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach to you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honour in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honour and praise among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord.